Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm host Wanda Burns, and my kind of our Savon Morris was not able to be here for uh, for this particular review, but he'll be back for the second half when we get into our um, sports music and, and music topics. But for this first half, we're reviewing um, Guava Island with a, a special guest, uh, Serge Prevere. Um, a good friend of the show has been on for countless reviews in the past. This past summer, he was on for the Monster Review. But Serge, thank you so much for being back on, man. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man, absolutely. And to start off with um, the Guava Island uh, review, with the overview, Guava Island is a 2019 musical film directed by Hiro Amurai, his featured director of debut, with the screenplay by Steve, uh, uh, Stephen Glover from A Story, by Donald Glover, Stephen Glover, uh, Ibra Aki, J- Jamal Alori, and fam uh, Yuta Rajiri. It stars Donald Glover and Rihanna in the lead roles of Denny and, and Kofi, respectively, and was first exhibited at the Coachella Festival on April 11, 2019. Um, it was distributed by Amazon Studios and had a 74% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And, you know, Serge, you know, we, we've, we've been talking about this movie for, you know, a, a while now. You, you, this is a movie that, that you uh, mentioned and referenced for, for me to just check out and really was a pleasure to, to see this for the first time. But in terms of just your initial thoughts on this film and it being just a, a more earnest, intensively hopeful film, what did you think think about it when you first saw it? Yeah, so... So I thought, for one, um, it was very symbolic because it spoke about the nature of not only, you know, human beings, um, mm-hmm. because they kind of like hit on that in the beginning of the film of how, because of our greed, we tend to destroy everything around us, you know? Yeah. But also, it's also a critique on um, certain aspects of economy. Now, yeah. in the context of the film, they were talking about capitalism. Um I think it deals more with socialism if you, you know, really understand, you know, Cuba and its history. But nonetheless, um, it's highly symbolic of um, the difficulties of labor and people working hard but never being able to to push forward in life because all their money, or you know, all their, um, yeah, all, all their work is going towards this one person who profits off of their labor. And... Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is you have uh, the main character, uh, played by Donald Glover, Glover named Denny Maroon, and he's this type of folk hero. And he believes, you know, he's a musician. You know, he believes in, you know, just people finding rest and just enjoying each other. And um, he just, he's symbolic of this. And I'll be, I want to be careful when I say this, but this messianic figure where he has this vision and he's like the embodiment of that vision. Um, and he has conflict with one of the um, antagonists, Red Cargo, who is the yeah. guy who's oppressing everybody around him. You know, everybody works for him and, you know, they barely get any rest from their work. And so it's very symbolic because it's not only a critique on human nature, but also a critique on um, certain aspects of economy as well. And so. Definitely. And, and, and that and that is really one of the things is because, like, you see this, like, realistic portion of the movie i mean of all the movie where you see people just being overworked you know they can't go to a festival um an all-night festival because the next night they have to be at work like like do you feel as though this is this is a movie where you know not to get too ahead of things we need more of these types of movies like these indie film movies that don't get addressed enough but still like when you watch them there there are movies that you don't feel as though you see on a regular basis Uh, i do agree so like when it comes to any platform of art whether it be music whether it be filmmaking photography um art is a unique way to express truth 
you know, it's a unique avenue to express uh, the realities of our life. And, and I, I honestly do believe this. I believe that because we're made in the image of God, God has given us uh, an imagination of creativity in, in which we can express ourselves in certain ways. And so yeah. when it comes to art, it's such a unique way to express truth, to express reality, to express um, issues within life. It communicates in a different way. It communicates emotionally. It communicates um, in regards to, you know, just cognitively in regards to our mind. And so I think we need more films like this because, I mean, it's fun to watch an action film. You know, it's fun to watch things blow up. But Mm -hmm. I think in essence, um, art is just a wonderful avenue to express uh, concerns and truth and and things that goes on within society. And so I, I do believe that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to start with our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, what would be your particular rating um, for this movie and some of your reasons for it? Okay. See, <laughs> it's kind of difficult. Um, I, I know. This is always the toughest, like, this is always the toughest topic because every guest is like, oh, I don't really know what, like, what to give it. I mean, I like it, but I don't know what to give it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, it's, it is a short film. Yeah. I... I that is one of the things that made me like not give it a full length four. Like I probably would go with a three or three and a half, just because I feel as though this wasn't like a just a full length film. But overall, though, I I, I did think this was in, in terms of like what I liked about it. The the, the cast like like the cast that you have is just magnetic, mm-hmm. and it, it really highlights this dark story that I, I feel as though finds a good balance between a music feature film and almost like a long form music video. Yeah. And, and that's really kind of what it feels like, and that's why I'd probably go with a, a three three star rating yeah uh, i'll say three and a half i mean mm-hmm. like you said it before it, it's a short film which i do love and, and i enjoy um and donald glover he himself is, is an amazing artist in and of himself you know he's an actor as yeah. well musician um but i feel like i haven't seen enough to see you know just not i don't want to say experience but the talent of like all the other actors like rihanna she played we, a didn't even, we didn't even hear Rihanna sing. We didn't even hear Rihanna yeah. sing once. And I, really? I was like, whoa, like that felt like she was underused. Yes, yes. Like, like she's a gifted singer, but I mean, her role as Kofi, even though she did have a, a place or a position, like you didn't yeah. really get to see her express herself that much. Yeah. Like she played this very cool, laid back, collective. She's very contained. Con- yeah, contained woman, you know? And so you couldn't really see like, okay, like, what can Rihanna really do, like, in regards yeah. to acting, you know what I mean? So I think, like, a you know, three, three and a half would be an appropriate um, rating. But in regards to just the way it's filmed, you have, they they have this nostalgic film grading. Yes, like watched, I love that. It, it, was, it was beautiful. Like, it just took you back a little bit. Um, and just also because I love Caribbean culture, especially uh, Hispanic culture, um, one thing that threw me back was, right, now, at first, I was trying to guess, like, okay, where is this located? Like, what's, what's the culture here? And I was like, maybe it was like, I don't know, maybe Dominican Republic or maybe it's like the Bahamas. And they started speaking Spanish. And I was like, black people speaking Spanish. Call me off guard. I was like, maybe, okay. maybe, maybe French, but Spanish. Yeah, Spanish. So, okay. Yeah. So I looked it up and it was Cuba because like um, Cuba has a heavy, heavy um, Afro-Cuban um, aspect of its of, of its culture. And so yeah. and I, I love that how the majority of the cast 
if not the whole cast, they were black Cubans, you know? Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is, um, so, you, you know, we, we hear of colorism, you know, it, it, it is a, an apparent issue or perspective within our society of how for a lot of societies and a lot of cultures, it's more beautiful for people to be more fair skinned, you know? And so oftentimes like people would, you know, utilize certain creams to lighten up their skin. But what it does is it makes people like you and I mm -hmm. or any other dark uh, skinned person it causes us to look, you know, look at ourselves and we, we, we feel as if like we're not beautiful. What I like about this film in Guava Island, I think is the whole cast. The whole cast, they're, they're dark-skinned people, except for Rihanna. She's like a caramel tone. But what they do is they explore the other aspect of Cuban culture, the Afro-Cuban uh, culture. And I enjoyed that because like they're showing how, you know, this culture, this aspect of Cuban culture or Afro-Hispanic culture, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. You know, these people are rejoicing, you know. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, them accepting the beauty of, of that. It, it was like one of those things like where, where they didn't want to like change or, or, or try to be something else, but like really just embracing the, the beauty of the culture. I thought that was, you know, just very, um, very, very satisfying and, and, and impressive to see in a film. But transitioning to to favorite character, um, personally, I would go with Denny because his story was really placed at the forefront and he has just so much charisma and every musical performance or statements containing metaphors primarily came from him. And I, and I think as we, as we've said so many times um, so far in, in the show, Donald Glover is just an amazing talent and the, 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 the performances and the, and just how he puts together, um, you know, the, the thoughts that he has and any, any type of music musicality that he shows is just, it's top notch. But to you, kind of overall, who was your favorite character? Yeah, I would say Denny. I mean, you pretty much said it already. You have this charismatic, romantic figure. Not only does Kofi uh, love him, like, this guy's a goofball, but, <laughs> you know, he's genuine. And the people on the island, they love him. They love him. You know, he's the folk hero, you know, within their society. And so, yeah, Denny all the way. Absolutely. Um, and now transitioning to, uh, and before we even transition to to the most memorable scenes, when when you have a, a duo like you know Donald Glover and Rihanna in this film, like how well do you think their chemistry mesh? Like in terms of just obviously we we didn't see a, a full length film, but we did see some segments where like you could see like like the the, the affection they had for for each other in the film for these two characters. But like, what were your thoughts on the chemistry that they had and and displayed in this film? So yeah, there was a uh, there was a certain scene where so Denny and Kofi, uh, which is Donald's character, Rihanna's character, they're at, at a beach and um, you have these people playing a steel drum, and Kofi, you know, is like she's trying to like play hard to get, or you know, she's just chilling yeah. or whatever, <laughs> and then <laughs> Denny starts like dancing and singing, um, and like he's like you know just trying to make her laugh, trying to get her to smile, and then eventually like you know he he grabs by the hand. And they start walking and like, he just, he's just being himself. And eventually he gets her to laugh. And he pulled then, it off. Yeah, he, he pulled it, he had the, he had the charm that we all want to get. We, he had the charm exactly. that all the guys want to get. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> I, I think in that aspect, like, now I don't know much about uh, Donald Glover and Rihanna's affairs outside of work, you know, whether or not they hang out, but that scene was perfect. Like I felt like they knew each other for the longest time. Like, like, 
I know. You can, tell, you can tell when outside chemistry off camera comes into on camera. And I feel like that was the perfect scene. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so, and it's funny because like literally, so I feel like Donald Glover is Denny and I feel like Rihanna is Kofi because exactly. Rihanna sees, <laughs> she seems like normally a, a chill person, like a very calm, collected type woman. And Donald yeah. Glover, I mean, if you've seen his work, he's a very charismatic, funny, goofy character, you know? Yeah. So it was as if they're just playing themselves, really. You know? It was just so easy. It seems so easy for them. Like, like this is who we are, like twenty four seven every day. Yes, exactly. And so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But but now getting into most memorable scenes, um, I had uh, summertime magic. Um, also, this is America. Uh, Denny's guitar. You know where Denny is given the ultimatum of not, you know, playing at the festival, and then finally Saturday, where Denny performs the festival Saturday night, despite being warned not to, and eventually led to him being killed. Um, but, but overall, like what were some of your memorable scenes or maybe one particular scene that kind of stood out to you the most? Mm. So I think I have two memorable scenes. I think the first one would be, and it's, it, it's kind of interconnected. So after Denny is warned about, um, not performing at the festival because, mm-hmm. um, Red Cargo, who is a dictator of Cuba, he doesn't want the people who work for him to party and, you know, and not work. He barely, barely show up to work the next morning. Exactly. Like he wants them to, to, you know, just come to work for him. So he makes money. But nonetheless, um, Denny, he doesn't really promise him anything. He performs, even though he realizes that it could be to his death. But Denny understands that, um, one, the festival is a time in which these people can relax and, and, and have fun and, and take, you know, have rest from, from work. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of like imagery of like, you know, the Sabbath day, um, when we see, when we see in the old Testament, right. Um, this idea of resting from work and, and having a time of rejoice. Um, and so Denny, and, and I think this, there is a lot of foreshadowing with Bob Marley here, you know, mm. uh, cause Bob Marley kind That's of played a, a similar role. Um, in Jamaica, there was a lot of uh, political turmoil during that time. Um, and he stood as a figure of peace uh, during that time. But then he had the opportunity to stand down, not perform, but instead he performed an amazing song. People had fun. Kofi was concerned. And then, of course, you know, he died. But even after that scene, there was a scene in which literally Denny is dead, right? And the next day, people are pretty much rejoicing, not rejoicing that he died, but he became a martyr because he represented something far bigger than himself. You know, he was a man of the people. And then um, I I forgot what Kofi said, but she pretty much, she goes to Red Cargo. Now she's a widower. She's wearing this attire that represents that, you know, she's a widower. But she goes to Red Cargo and she tells him like, Somewhat like you've, you know, you lost. Like Denny had his day because that was the next day where everybody was supposed to go to work. They were supposed to show up to work, but instead yeah. they celebrated the death of this folk hero. And I would say, I think that scene in and of itself was the most important scene because it kind of, it was the climax of what was told in, in the beginning of the film, in which mm-hmm. it talks about how someday you know, this beautiful island, it would, it would find some type of rest. And it was found through, one, the festival, I think, two, um, through Denny's death, where the people didn't go to work the next day. They celebrated the hero. And so, yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, and, and now getting into most memorable quotes, um, I had, um, but how do you know what's good for everyone from, uh, for, from Denny? Also, anywhere where in order to get rich, you have to make someone else richer is America. I have to do what's best for everyone from Red Cargo. And then finally, we got our day from Kofi. Um, to you, kind of like what were, what were some of the quotes in this one um, that kind of like were the most effective to you? I think I'd say, um, I think I'd say we got our day from Kofi because this was the most, yeah, this was the the motif throughout the whole film. Because when when you watch the film in the beginning, it's this cartoon talking about you know how this island came to, came to be and how it was a, an island of peace and, and relaxation. But then these people started taking advantage of the resources, and you know there was no rest. You know they had they had no rest at all. And everything else around them started dying off because of the selfishness and greed of, of these men. And we see this um, represented through Red Cargo, where he is this businessman, but he profits off of the labor of other people, but in a sinful manner, in a wrong, you know, in a, in a wrong way. And so these people, they're not resting, like they're constantly working, they're tired, they're overworked, they're oppressed. And it was through Danny's death in which they could have that, that day of freedom, that time of freedom. And when she says that, that encapsulated the motif of what was stated before. So I think that was the most important um, phrase because that was the whole point of the film. And so, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and another thing I wanted to ask you, like when you first watched this film and it came to the end and... I mean, we just feel, you can feel how quick things fly by. Like, did you, was it a feeling of satisfaction or I wish I get another hour of this to see like how this develops? So like, how did you feel at, like at the end of this film, like when you first saw it and kind of like what you wanted to see like more develop? Mm -hmm. So I think it was, it was definitely palatable in which because of how short it was, they didn't really have to deal with too much content because it wasn't as if they're traveling to different countries where, you know, you're watching a one fight scene. It was in-house. They took their time. They pretty much had like one theme. And because of that, the movie was well-paced, it felt like. Mm -hmm, because they, they weren't doing too much. Like it wasn't as if like, you know... You know, Danny was an Avenger. He had to like find all the Infinity Stones and he's going to like five <laughs> different planets. It's like, no, like, it's one island with one people. There's like one or two motifs, and they dealt with that appropriately. Like, this is, it's a folk, it's a folk story, you know? Because, like, a film like a, a, like a musical, like In the Heights, that's a two hour and 22, it's 23 minute film. And it's more, much yes. more expansive because so much is, is, so much more is happening in it and you have to cover more. But this was a film that it didn't have, have too much to cover because, like, and like, like we said earlier, everything was kept in house. Mm hmm. And so I think it was appropriate. It was extremely palatable. I would say, <laughs> I wish Denny didn't die. <laughs> That's what I, because I wanted to see like, what would a, like an all night festival look like? Like how much fun would that be? And also just, just how much, just how much could you see like, like the, the rejoicing and also the entertainment value of what that could be? Because it, it, it started off amazing and mm -hmm. then it, you know, it gets interrupted. But I think, feel like that was another thing that could have, that, that, that was something that was just left, you know, open and, and kind of like an unquestioned answer. And like, I understand because like, so his death was necessary to bring about um, that time of rejoicing uh, for the people. And of course, he, you know, Danny represents, you know, he represents 
Bob Marley, he represents that folk hero in which these people look up to, you know, he stood up against oppression and he paid the price. Um, and so it, it's kind of like, it's, it's bittersweet, really. That's what it is. It's bittersweet. And so. Absolutely. Um, and, and now getting to what did you like the most about the storyline? Uh, um, to me, j- just the showing the, 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 the real effects of socialism and also the realistic, um, nature of labor, but also not getting any, any real return for it and being taken advantage of, um, just, you know, just for greed and and somebody else's own gain. I think that was just highlighting that element of things was a a very, um, necessary and pivotal part of the film. But to you kind of like what element in particular of this storyline did you like the most? So, yeah, um, I mean, it's difficult because, like, I know, for one, the expression of, um, you know, just Afro-Cuban culture, Afro-Caribbean culture wasn't really the main part of the storyline. It was just, like, you know, one of the aspects of the film, which I really enjoyed. Um, I I would say, I think, is uh, one of the love between Denny and Kofi's character. I think um, that was... I think that was definitely an important part of the of the film because not only was Denny um, a lover of his people, but he was a lover of this this woman named Kofi. Um, they introduced that in the beginning of the film, right, where they met as kids, and you know he was on one building top and she was like on another housetop, and he had this big big grin on his face, and he played this song for her, and they fell in love. And one of the most beautiful aspects, I think, within you know. Um, you know, our, our reality is, is, is love. It's a beautiful thing. And so yes. these two characters, they fell in love ever since they were kids. And Denny was always this romantic type figure. You know, he loved mm-hmm. to sing. He loved to sing for Kofi. And what was even more tragic was Kofi was pregnant. You know, they were expecting a child. Yeah. And he wasn't able to, to father the child. But nonetheless, it brought that much weight to the story because... If I'm correct, I think Kofi is telling this story to her child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so that just. That's so it's so powerful. So yeah. For that, just 360 at the, at the, you know, throughout the film. Yes, exactly. And so even though Denny is this folk hero to these, to these people, I think what really made it what it was, was the relationship between Denny and Kofi. And not just that. But also specifically uh, the fruit of that relationship with, which is the child in which the story is being told to, or whom the story is being told to, and so. Definitely, um, and now getting to our last topic, ten years from now, do you still think this will be watched but intriguing? Um, you know, I, I still feel as though, like, if if it just you know took me a, a few weeks ago to, to see the film, I feel as though I feel as though there are probably people that haven't seen it yet. But I think when they do see it, this is the type of film that will be able to live on because of obviously how concise it is and the the performances we have from 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 uh, Donald Glover. And e- even though Rihanna, she was kind of a contained figure in this, I still feel as though um, she had an effective role. And 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 the the uh, the observations and the grace that she showed throughout the film, and especially toward Denny's character, were were just very important how the, the film was going to play out. But but to you, kind of like, how do you think, like, do you think this will be a, a watchable, intriguing film another decade from now? Yeah. So, like, even though it is an indie film, and, I mean, indie films are not really, like, your typical mainstream, you know, blockbuster type stuff. Mm-hmm. 
if you if you're the type of person that does enjoy a film that is a bit more substantive, you know, that's not just like, you know, running around explosives, you know, gunfires going off everywhere. If you like something that's very calm, something that's very symbolic or metaphorical, I do believe this is a type of film, you know, that will will still be watchable for years, um, you know, after. I mean, just the themes that they explore in regards to expression of love. Uh, two characters who are totally different, but for some reason they fall in love. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Not just that, but also critique on. I believe in the context is socialism because you know it, it's in, it's in Cuba, right? Mm-hmm. And also a critique on human nature of how like human beings, you know, when we are left to our devices, you know, we can and will destroy things around us because we're sinful people. You know, we we are capable of oppressing others. Um, we are capable of utilizing the Earth's resources for our selfish gain, and and you know not being concerned about the affairs or the welfare of of those around us. And so, I think it. I think because of those themes, it can be watchable. Um, you know, years on end. And so, absolutely. Well, Serge, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. As as always. Um, always give great insights. And, and I mean, for, for the next film, King Richard, you mentioned that to me a while ago. We got to have you back on for that one for the for the full crew with, with Savon. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be on for that one. But but thank you so much for being on, man. It was an absolute pleasure. Hey, it was great talking to you, brother. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into the second half of our topics, and I'm joined once again by my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good, man. How's everything? It's going good, man. Uh, you, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to say sometimes you miss reviews just to miss reviews, man. <laughs> but we, 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 we gotta find some. T- <laughs> I gotta pick the right reviews for you to be. <laughs> hey, man. You know, sometimes it just works out perfectly if I'm not there. <laughs> Timing. <laughs> well, this is going to replace me here shortly, guys. So just wait. For no, me. it's not going to happen. Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> but to start off with, um, with, with the, the first topic, Tyson Fury's victory over Deontay Wilder in an eleventh round TKO, and just thoughts on how this trilogy will be remembered. Um, this third fight contains just so many back and forth moments with you know Wilder going down three times and Fury going down twice, both in round four, and you know Fury was also head on all three scorecards when the fight was stopped as. The fight progressed. Fury just, you know, continued to drill Wilder with haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. But what are kind of your thoughts on Tyson Fury's victory and just how this trilogy will, will be remembered? You know, I first I want to start with um, Deontay Wilder, and he, you look at his progression throughout the, the fight, and you look at what he came out. He was the aggressor the first couple of rounds. You could tell he was trying to utilize the mechanics that he's learned in the in the offseason, him training for this fight. And you just seen him, he couldn't hold it together. He got gassed. It seemed like he never got his second win like Tyson Fury did. I think Tyson, after he got knocked down, I think seventh to eighth round, Tyson Fury got his second win. And he was going out and he became the aggressor. But I do want to hats off the Wilder, man. Hats off to not giving up, going all the way to the level round, getting knocked down three times. A lot of guys would have said I thought he here. was done. I thought he was yeah, done in the third. Too. I thought he was I thought I thought that was a wrap. And you could tell his legs never got under him. He was still fighting. Yeah. He was still still trying to be the aggressor, but his mechanics, you you can't Tyson Tyson Fury has been doing this eons for his entire career. He's he's been a complete boxer his entire career. 
easy for him because it's already ingrained in his DNA and it's some things you cannot teach a boxer. It has to be already when you, like you said, the pony, we saw him started gradually going back to that, trying to the blind shot and throw the right. It connected a couple times. You see Tyson Fury uh, knocked down twice, but it's, I think how this is going to be remembered, skill over bronze, skill over power. I think that's what's going to be uh, remembered from this, this trilogy. Tyson Fury outboxed Deontay Wilder, even though it was a, a great uh, great boxing match. It went down to the 11th round, but Tyson Fury got his second win and outboxed Deontay Wilder. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely was, you know, uh, that that's really what took place on this past Saturday night. And, you know, we have two really big upcoming fights. Uh, Canelo's going to fight Caleb Plant November 6th, I believe, and also Durante Davis has a fight in December, like, out of those two fights and with those two boxers, like what do you want to see from them also like going forward? Because those are two premier fighters and they've got, you know, pr- two pretty significant uh, matchups coming up. I expect Canelo to do what Canelo does. I expect him to do what he did at the press conference, slap the guy and then watch the, the slow hook come <laughs> and he dodges it. And he, he, reality, he retaliates with it. So I expect the same thing Canelo has done in his career. He's been a yeah. complete boxer. He's he's a he's a, he's a, a master artist of this of this craft, and I and I expect him to to beat him hands down, no questions asked. Now for the other fight, I'm I'm up in the air for it. You know, I'm not yeah. a big fan. 50, 50. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of other fighters. I'm, I'm a big fan of Canelo over the years. Just seeing him being able to do some some similarities to you know Money Mayweather, just the art of boxing, the the defense mechanism of boxing. That's what I love about it. It's always it's always good to be the aggressor. It's always good to, you know, have that power shot or be quick and fast. But the defense mechanism, the fits of boxing is the true, the true, true art of it. So seeing boxers do that is really good. But other two, other, the other fight is like, mm, well, I'm not really a big fan of it. You're not a, a, a fan of, of, of Tank? No. You're not a fan of Javante? <laughs> no. I mean, Javante, no, don't get me wrong. Javante is a great boxer. I think his time is coming. And he's going to be yeah. there. But right now, it's just like, okay, we've seen you before. We've seen your type of mm. boxing before. And no, don't get me wrong. He's super quick, super powerful. The guy can do certain things, but I, we've seen him before. I mean, your mentor is Money Mayweather. I think eventually he'll get to that point where that kind of wanes on. We'll still think of Money Mayweather because he signed under, but it will be like, okay, Javante's That's the here. thing. He's in the shadow of Money Mayweather. Exactly. Mayweather so. <laughs> and he's still young, so he has a long, lustrous career ahead of him. So yeah. only, only like 26. Yeah, but this fight, I, the guy he's fighting against, I'm not really like, you know. If there's nobody, I don't If he fights. I mean, Ryan Gar- I think Ryan Garcia, like that's the, the fight everybody wants to see, but like he had to postpone his fight in November. So like. Everybody wants to see that eventually happen, but it's just there's so much, so many postponements that are taking. That's place. the fight I want to see. Now, if you if they're a fight, I'm like, okay, this is what everybody's talking I'm in. about. Who's, I'm in. Big, who's the best? Who's the best in yes. there in the weight class? Let's get it on. That's right the now. fight we need to see like, coming up. You know, it's just like okay, this is a, a intermission because we all know it's leading up to that point. We all know like that's the culmination. Like that's what we really want to exactly. see. Exactly. It's just how they you know postpone the you know the Fury and Wilder fight until you know a couple weeks ago. So it's just like. We're, we're yeah. anticipating we wanted that fight, but this, you know, Javante is still going to, I think he's progressing to his own limelight. He's going to be his own, like, boxing figure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, interesting to the NFL uh, with, with dealing with John Gruden's res- resignation uh, 
after uh, the, the email scandal. This this past Monday, Gruden resigned after as Las Vegas Raiders head coach. Um, after the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times reported the contents of you know several emails he sent to former NFL executive Bruce Allen, and you know there was racist language included, criticizing NFLPA executive director uh, Demar Smith, and many other emails were revealed Monday evening that were you know anti-gay and misogynistic, but. What are your thoughts on how the league handled the situation and, you know, this revealing a lot personally about John Gruden? You know, <laughs> the Gruden family is not, you know, angels in the outfield or just angels, period. We've we've seen Jay Gruden go through his scandal with the Washington Redskins or now the Washington football team, uh, if have you. And then we see, you know, John Gruden, since he's with the, the Buccaneers and then with the Raiders in the past and then back with the Raiders, we see players like, uh, Keyshawn Johnson coming out and saying he's always been that type of guy. Yeah. Extremely, he was vocal. extremely vocal. And he's been with them and won a Super Bowl championship with them. And I'm, I'm a curious, the guy I want to hear talk is Warren Sapp. I want to hear Warren Sapp talk. He's never been the guy to like sugarcoat anything in his career since he was with Miami, since he was with NFL <laughs> Network, since, you know, his, his things um, off the field, uh, things kind of, you know, shadow his career. But John Gruden, man, um, I, I talked about this with a lot of my friends. It was like, should they have been fired? I saw he was fired. We didn't know he resigned. And I and I, I was still for him being fired because there are no time. But you look at it from a marketing perspective. You can't keep no. that. You can't keep that in. You, you, you can't have you a can't, leader you like You can't that play for still, a guy like that. Like, when, when, to give you an you know, example, when I no. was uh, playing high school football at Pine Forest, our coaches were definitely racist. And and we didn't really we knew it, but we didn't know it because we were like young, so we really didn't really care until you realized like, yo, these guys were super racist. We were playing with racist coaches, so this is not it, one. Comment. It just takes one comment. It just takes one because we all know it. We all know it, but it, it like, like just in a casual conversation, they're going to slip up and say something. Yeah, and, and then just, him, it, it's, it's just it's not being the, the race has been misogynistic. It's been. You know, homophobic, it's, it's all these other things that play a role to his demise and showing his true character. And this is not the only organization. You see, it, it comes from the hires up. You see what uh, Davis said, mm-hmm. you know, actually NFL, they have all the answers. So in the, in the Houston, Texas is another one. They, these, so all, all, all these organi- organizations have this type of mindset because that's what it was built off of. If you remember... No color people could play in the NFL or whatever the league was before it became the NFL. So it's always have been right. solidified. That's college football as well. So it just now you look at the NFL as a marketing. Social injustice is a marketing scheme now. Nike did it. Nike's making a bunch of money on social injustice. The Black Lives Matter movement is making a lot of money on social injustice. The NFL is making money on social injustice. Mm-hmm. So if they keep a guy who has been, uh, I guess, uh, who, who whistleblow, somebody whistleblowed on it and exposed them, they can't keep them there. They probably say, oh, we can't fire you, but it'll be easier if you resign. I think that's what happened. <laughs> they called them. It's like John, we're gonna give you a settlement. We're mm-hmm. gonna do this. Just don't say anything about it. Just resign, and we'll take care of it. It's still the same mindset that the NFL has had since eons, eons ago, and they cover it up now. It's marketable, so now they have the you know, yeah. It's it's the good old boys league. For it's sure. the good old boys league. For sure. <laughs> it's just For it's, sure. it is what it is. <laughs> I digress. I digress, um, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, but 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 now getting into um 
the, the Bills just complete dominance over Kansas City this past Sunday night. Um, Buffalo was able to pick up an 18-point win on the road. Josh Allen threw for 315 yards and, and three touchdowns uh, while running for another score. Emmanuel Sanders had two touchdown catches for the Bills, and Dawson Knox had 117 yards receiving. Um, but what are your thoughts on how well Buffalo has played on the road and also um, just the struggles we're seeing from the Chiefs? Because a lot of times I, I did I did hear a theory that, I mean, n- not saying that this is the reason, but um, it, it was a post-game show, and someone was saying, like, he feels as though the, the Chiefs has, like, has still not recovered from that, that Super Bowl loss against Tampa Bay and is still kind of like reeling from it, even though we have seen high moments from them, they're not looking themselves. So what do you think about how how well the Bills are playing in Josh Allen and also what is, you know, the, the, the main reason for the Chiefs' struggles? Josh Allen is playing like a man possessed. He's playing like he wants his Super Bowl. He's playing like he wants yeah. to get an MVP. He's playing. In the Buffalo curse. <laughs> yes, ending it. Shout out to Jim Kelly, man, three times in a row, man. The Come 90s. On, man. <laughs> What a what an era. But it's the defense as well, the takeaways, the, yeah. the putting themselves in great position, Josh Allen extending plays, him leaping over people, the running game working, the passing game working, offensive line looks phenomenal. It's only week five. They won four games. Like Josh Allen said, it takes more to get to the playoffs. But you guys need to live in this moment just a little bit. You got to cherish it a little. You got to cherish it a little. (laughs) For sure. They're playing lights out football. You beat a Kansas City Chiefs team. Okay, they're wounded a little bit. And I'm going to get to the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to still continue to praise, you know, the Buffalo Bills. They look good. Josh Allen looks like a guy who went to a D1 prospect. He was a D1 prospect guy, went to five stars, and went to Alabama or uh, another prestige college. But he went to Wyoming out of JUCO. <laughs> the guy's crazy good. Body build, just effortless throws. The guy's is a complete quarterback, and he's mobile. Well, get him done, Josh Allen. But let me get on the Kansas City Chiefs, Wellington, if you will let me. <laughs> Last year, there was ranked number 10. It was ranked 10 number defense. They was ranked mm-hmm. the top five in takeaways. It was points allowed top 10. It's a lot of – the list goes on. Top 10 defense in the NFL out of 32 teams. Now they're completely almost dead last. That's the difference. It's nothing changed on offense. Yes, um, Clyde got hurt um, the, the game against the Bills off a, a screen play. Okay, that's fine. Patrick the Mahomes. offense is the offense is an extreme. Like the offense is dealing with struggles, but that's obviously. I mean, we, we still feel as though they can recover and get back to the the pace they've been at. Yes, and the the difference was we. I think because we we're so <laughs> over Patrick Mahomes' sidearms and him extending plays and doing crazy mm-hmm. things like he did in the Super Bowl, which is fine. Yeah. Their defense kept them in games. Their defense allowed them to be in field positions to be able to make those throws and do those plays. Their defense was top 10 last year when they won the Super Bowl. They were top 10 then. Yeah. That's the difference. The offense still looks exactly the same. Tyreek Hill, okay, he dropped the pass, and Michael Hyde, which I missed from Green Bay, um, had a pick six and kind of changed the game. <laughs> I had to put that in there. Green Bay, <laughs> Bay Nation misses him. <laughs> bro, when they got rid of Michael Hyde, I was so upset because Michael had played great defense, great top minutes for us. But th- that's the difference. Yeah. The offense looks exactly the same. They're still the high-power offense. We just – the defense gets in the shadows of the Patrick Mahomes show, the Tyreek Hill show. Um, and Travis Kelsey show. Travis Kelsey show, of course. But you forget about how the good that defense was. Just a year ago, top ten. Now they're almost at a dead last, in, you know, in the, the, the remaining half. You know, they're like 27 to 28. So 
I'm just saying, man, this, even though like they're struggling, I I feel bad for the team, like the the top seeded AFC teams that are going to have to face this team. Like, like you have a home, imagine you have a home playoff game and Kansas City is the team that you're having to face in the the postseason. Even though like they're still struggling, I still feel as though that's a team in the postseason you don't want to face because of the experience they have. So you think they're going to turn it around? I'm not saying that. I, I still feel as though Buffalo and Baltimore are are better teams. I, I I still I still feel as though like 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 that's the case. But but for me personally, I I think the offense is going to improve. But I think the defensive issues are are still something that we're going to see throughout. I'm just saying it, it's it's the type of team with that offensive power that can make games challenging. Not that I'm saying that they're going to get back to where they were the last few years. I just think their offense is is going to improve drastically. Well, they do say defense wins championships. If they don't turn around, that is, that is true. If they don't get back in that top ten, man, it's going to be hell to pay. But it's going to be a long uphill battle. Yeah, and I do think their offense will get better. They'll figure some things out. They'll put some pizzazz on it. But if they defense don't step it up, then it's all for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and now getting into to, to Green Bay's win over uh, Cincinnati uh, this past Sunday, um, and Green Bay's three point OT win. Mason Crosby just had an extremely a rare type of performance with missing three straight potential winning field goal attempts before hitting 49 yarder. Uh, Rogers had 344 yards. Devontae Adams had also had an exceptional game with 11 catches for a career high 206 yards. And this, this was a type of game. I mean, it, no kicker <laughs> could, could, could really have a, a good day and just like be able to close out the game. It just was back and forth, like just uncharacteristic misses from both. But what were your thoughts on a game where we see so many twists and turns with the Packers being able to edge it out? Woo. Wow. How many chances can you get in the NFL? <laughs> if you <laughs> if you ask Josh Gordon, about 10, 10 to sixteen chances. If you ask Mason Crosby, <laughs> I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but this didn't even feel real. It didn't even feel did real. Not. Like watching this, it's like there's no way. How many times I've never seen a kicker. <laughs> get this many chances and, and that a lot of time though one at 212 yeah. one at three seconds left one early in the game obviously but then you get to OT you get to, to get the final and send it off with the you know they get the field goal man what had to be going through his mind to be able to like if I miss this they're gonna cut me they're gonna fight they're gonna trade for Justin Tucker um <laughs> they're gonna do I don't know what they're gonna do they're gonna trade me away but this game was so crazy Man, hats off. Hats off to the Bengals, though. They did not Gotta get credit to the Bengals. The Bengals are they're on the rise. Joe Burrow, man. True. Joe. Joe Burrow got some. He got he got some he got something, man. And He's then got factor. <laughs> he definitely does. And then Chase. I knew Chase was huh. gonna have a good game because our secondary is beat up and has always been beat up since 2012. We have not had a good secondary since 2012. And I knew he was going to have a good game. But Jamar Chase, I think he was – I think he's better than Justin Jefferson. I'm just saying. And we're, mm. we're seeing that. Justin Jefferson had a great rookie season. Jamar, uh, yes. Chase is having a better rookie season. Two different teams. I know they, the chemistry is there because they play at the same NFL, same you know college team, but NFL is totally different. Justin Jefferson went in a situation where he had a uh, complete season quarterback, even though Kirk Cousins has his days when he's just re- crazy throwing interceptions. But you have a season quarterback 
who's been with two teams, who's been in the playoffs. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Jamar Chase going with a rookie quarterback who's coming off an in- injury, and they still have that chemistry from LSU and being able to make coverages and, you know, adjust to the ball and stuff. That's I think he's having a better rookie season. That's just me. But shout-outs to the Bengals. Shout-outs to Aaron Rodgers. Defense, you know, stepped it up at the tail end, man. We're still kind of coming off some injuries. Can't wait for my boy uh, Zadarek to get back. Jalen Smith, I didn't really like that trade, but that's another story. I didn't get that. And out. I mean, when you look, yeah, yeah, yeah. last point, got to put that in. <laughs> Um, but, but like you, you look at in terms of like the NFC elite so far, Dallas has looked amazing. Um, Arizona, they're undefeated. Like, where do you, what team in terms of, I mean, and it can be green Bay also like what, in terms of the, the NFC elite, like which one do you really feel as though has like looked the best so far? Ooh, um, Ooh, Dallas has looked really, really good. Yes. The defense has really, really good. And I think that's the confidence you have in a defense getting rid of Jalen Smith, who's had his, his woes, his injuries, and he's not completely healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dallas looked good. Obviously, Green Bay looks really, really good. Um, Tampa Bay, obviously. But the t- Arizona. Arizona. I completely just bypassed the champs. <laughs> Arizona. Yeah, you have to because Tampa Bay, they lost you know, one game and then – and which was the Rams, they're five and one. We already know they're gonna be good. They got everybody back well. It's in that's we my mm-hmm. expectation is so high for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that that's why I bypass them. Like they should be five and one. Everybody bought yeah. in, everybody had pay cuts, everybody we just automatically assume they'll be fine. Yeah, automatically, especially with Aaron's, and then you have Tom Brady, then you go get a yeah. you know, season DB with Richard Service. But Arizona, I think, is the only Undefeated team, the only NFL team that's undefeated. Yep. Good. Then you go get Zach Ertz. What? (laughs) No, actually, I think that was a that was a uh oh. I think that was a good trade actually. Zach Ertz has been like the the years. In the past, he's looked kind of slow and lazy, and I saw that when they played Dallas and had Jalen Hurts looking real number two like. I think him going to, I think he'll add that 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 extra off to it. I don't think he'll be the starting tight end for sure, but I think he will add the extra mm-hmm. weapon to you know K one's arsenal. And then D Hop is playing crazy football, man. Who 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 interviews with a tank top on, man? You yeah. already know where he's from. <laughs> yeah, you already know where he's from. <laughs> yes, sir. Tank top shouting. Yes, sir. Don Tolliver does. Don Tolliver just had, a, had an interview with the tank top. With the tank top on. Oh, Man, bro. Oh, but yeah, Arizona's playing so like Don Tolliver was literally in an Italian. He was, he was literally in an Italian restaurant with Ebro with the tank top on. <laughs> You're lying. You're Come lying. on, man. Was Come it on. the Dalzo or Come something? On, I'm not even kidding. Yeah, it, it was it was a, it was an interview about the album, and he was in an Italian restaurant with a tank top on. I'm like, no, oh, was man. the tank top? It wasn't a plain tank top, or was it like it was plain or something? Plain. <laughs> it was literally just a <laughs> just a plain tank top, Savon. <laughs> <laughs> wow, buddy, an Italian restaurant. <laughs> I 
That is, life. That, is a, that is not a Michael Corleone line. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably Fruit of Loom. <laughs> Trey for Wally, baby. Trey for Wally yeah. World. That's crazy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, 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 but now getting into most intriguing week six NFL game, um, to, to me, like the main standout, standout is Chargers Ravens because these mm-hmm. are two of the, the hottest teams in the league. And we're seeing what Justin Herbert is doing. And then I didn't even mention, mention it, but the, what the Ravens were able to do in that comeback yes. um, this past Monday night, it was uh, against the Colts. And Lamar Jackson, he's definitely up there in an MVP candidacy. But in terms of like the most intriguing game, which one would you pick for this week? Of course, Baltimore and the Chargers. Yeah. Ooh. Baltimore and the Chargers. I want to – oh, I'm, I'm, I'm slipping. Arizona and Cleveland. That's, that's going to be yes. the game. That's going to be a game. Cleveland has played good football, and then Arizona is still yeah. undefeated team. I think it's going to be a good game. I can't wait to see what this if Miles Garrett can get the K one. That's going to be an interesting matchup. And, and, and another thing with Cleveland, they're three and two, and there's been the the, the reports and and I guess just speculation that oh, like Odell's not going to be happy with not getting as many targets, but he's even said like he's more focused on winning a championship than, than targets. Like, what are your thoughts on how that situation is playing out for him? Because they are playing well, but he's he's not getting the same targets that he may be accustomed to. But there still is the mentality for him that it's more about the championship than, you know, individual accolades. You know, at a certain point for a wide receiver, and this is any sport, at a certain point, you have all the accolades, you have the big contracts, but the only thing one thing is for championship. And if you can buy in, it was like, well, I'm not mm-hmm. getting as many touches that I've this entire team on the same page, and we're able to win a Super Bowl. That's all I, that's all that matters. And of course, inside of you, because you're, you know, yeah. it's the pride, it's the ego, and you, you've had these certain yards mm-hmm. before these touches and touchdowns. Inside of you, the little voice is like, bro, you need more touches. But if, if it's, it's more important for you to get the Super Bowl and be a team player than get the, the touches. So I like the mindset he has. Even if it's falsified or it's a facade, I still like the mindset you try, you try to sell. It's, it's more about the Super than your touches. Mm-hmm. Um, and now transitioning to college football, starting off with Alabama's ups- upset loss to Texas A&M. Um, in this 41-38 victory for Texas A&M, Zach uh, uh, calls the through for 285 yards, three touchdowns, and, and just really played like a star. And this is one of the, the first times – this is uh, the first time Nick Saban has lost to one of his assistants, and it ended Alabama's streak of 100 wins over um, unranked teams. But what are your thoughts on this massive upset, and, and what stood out to you the most in this game's development? Sorry, when <laughs> when we uh, when I got the uh, when I got the alert from ESPN, uh, me and me and my bro was talking, we was drinking, and we were just talking about life, and we got the alert. And I was like, oh, oh wow, <laughs> Alabama got upset by Texas A and M, and I just remembered the Johnny Manziel year, and when Mike Evans was on the team, and when they upset um, mm-hmm. Alabama, and it was just they. All, since, you know, it's, it's only an SEC team that can upset Alabama. Unless that year when, when, you know, Ohio State beat them, but they had Blake Sims at quarterback. Uh, okay, whatever. But <laughs> Blake, I passed that. I passed that. Blake Sims at quarterback. <laughs> whatever. 
But it's, it's always going to be an SEC, that, SEC team that upsets Alabama. And everybody I've seen with the Florida, with the Florida, when they play Florida, that they are beatable and that Bryce has some tendencies that he cannot waver. And they're bad tendencies at quarterback and at the running back position, at the O-line position. This team is not the same team for a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. So they're beatable. And shy hats off to Jim Fisher's game plan, going out and executing. They love – they take what the defense gives them, even though they're take, uh, going over cover two. They, they're a conservative team, and then they'll take the hat off for you. The running game is working. Hats off to Texas A&M. Alabama just looks sloppy from the get-go. Even though they put up that many points, it just looks sloppy. To allow a team to drive it's rare for them to look. Yeah. It's re- really rare for them to look that, that sloppy late in the game. Yeah, and let a team drive down, drive down their throat. Set up for a field goal, win a game, and just boom. Where's the defense? Yeah, that that that, that is the biggest headline because like that is it, it's a staple for them that you, you just did not see in that game uh, continue to play out. Like for a team like Texas A and M, like how much of that? Obviously, like it's a major boost, but like they had two losses earlier in the season, and then getting a win like this, like. What do you think that that just kind of does for the morale of a team and their confidence going forward? I mean, they were they were unranked. Now they're number twenty one. Um, it yeah. it, make, it gives your honest with you. They knew they could compete with any team, SEC, ACC, whatever the conference may be, coming into the season. Jimbo Fisher is one of the greatest recruiting coaches. I've ever seen. I have people who were at Florida State who was recruiting with them. It's like, man, that guy. And they, he gets guys to buy in. He gets guys to want to come to play for Texas A&M. And, it, and it's crazy. It builds the morale. It builds like we just beat – we just beat the number one team. They just won the national championship last year. Mm-hmm. We just beat the number one team. Well, yeah, the number one team. And then now, who can stop us? So morale, everybody's boost morale boosts up and – after Mizzou today, <laughs> and let's show what we did to Alabama. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely going to be a push for them. Yeah, definitely. And now listening to Oklahoma's um, shootout win versus Texas, uh, this Oklahoma was able to overcome a twenty-eight to seven deficit after the first quarter, um, the second largest comeback in um, program history. And backup Kennedy Brooks came in and just took over the game, running for two hundred seventeen yards, uh, two go-ahead touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Um, what are your thoughts on, on this highly contested matchup and then just how Brooks was able to win a game like this and just what that does for just the quarterback situation as well? Because that is one of those things where he has a win like that, but their their starter, Spencer Rattler, was just not himself and, and had uncharacteristic mistakes. And in, in any sport, we always talk about the next man up and you have to be opportunities to come in and lead a team. And when you're starting a quarterback, it's not looking like himself the wall and then you know i think this is going to be a good <laughs> good glimpse of what texas is going to have to deal with all the teams are like this there's going to be a dog fight every game and oklahoma showed me that they can get into the dog fight and, and withstand with their you know going through that adversity and, and that's the biggest thing i took from this the next man up can you affect when the, the whole team is facing a play can you step in and help out and assist and that's what they did man crazy game actually caught this one uh, oh okay oh okay oklahoma <laughs> looks good texas texas 
Texas didn't look bad either. I, think, I thought it was a really good game. I actually picked the right most interesting game. This is the one I picked. If, at first, I was like, oh, man, I pick another bad game. Pick another bad most interesting game. <laughs> this, this one actually delivered. Like, 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 this, was, this was the type of game in a Red River rivalry that was one of one of the best that we've seen in a while. But in terms of also most interesting game for today for college football, like, is there any one standout that, 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 that kind of uh, grabs your attention so far? Huh. I, I, thought, I thought about this, and... Mm. <sighs> I mean, Florida LSU is always an interesting game. No, no. Kentucky, Georgia. SEC, but, but I would say Kentucky and Georgia. I think Kentucky, this is the first time they've been ranked yeah. number 11 in years. They're 6 0. Georgia is 6 0. Kentucky defense is looking good. They, they're they creating turnovers. The offense is looking okay. They can, they can maintain. And Georgia looks like they're number one. They look like they look the part. The defense, they create terminals on the special teams. They look, this is the first time, and I'll reiterate this all the time, and I'll keep saying this until the season over. They look like the team to Mm -hmm. beat. They look like they're hungry to win the national championship, to win the playoffs. So this is the game. This is a test for Kentucky. You beat Florida Gators off. Uh, you beat the Florida Gators, okay. And then <laughs> you have. I want to mention. It. I want to mention. <laughs> you uh, you have. You, <laughs> it, it makes me upset, bro. Um, and this is your opportunity to see if you're for real. To see if this you are you a legit team this year. You're going against the number one team who has everything. Part is, yes. you have to be the Spartans this game. Yeah, take from uh, take from everything, but give to them nothing. Or oh, I forgot, I'm paraphrasing or whatever. <laughs> but uh, this is the, I think this is the game of the week. <laughs> it should have been a late game. I don't know why is that two thirty. It, it should have. have been a late come game. on, guys. Come on, C- come on, guys. Got, I, I got exams to study for. I can't. <laughs> <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> this should have been a late game, but this is this come is on. yeah. This is the opportunity. Have for Kentucky to show if they're a legit team, if they're really a contender. Because they're number 11. Yeah. They beat uh, Georgia. Whoo! It's going to be interesting. SEC is going to be interesting. Definitely. Um, and and now interesting to, to uh, NBA and dealing with Kyrie Irving's uh, current absence uh, from the Nets and just him not being vaccinated. And this past Tuesday, the, the Nets announced that he could not practice or or play until he's eligible for home, uh, uh, until um, – He's eligible for home games based on New York's New York City's COVID nineteen vaccination requirements, and there was also the development of Brooklyn no longer offering a one hundred eighty seven uh, million contract extension. But what are your thoughts on the situation's drastic development and how Kyrie's absence will affect uh, this team? Who? Um, I'll tackle that. The effect. I think. I, I don't think it'll affect them at all because. Not, not really, because you. I don't either. Look at, I really uh, feel like the, the Harden and Durant duo is an amazing. Yeah, player. and you, you look. They play together before. I mean, they have the same mindset. I think you, you have a changed James Harden who understands his role on the basketball team. And then Kyrie was out for multiple games last year, um, for mm-hmm. health concerns and for visiting family, whatever the case may be. Um, and I'm gonna play devil's advocate here shortly, but I think it doesn't affect them at all. I think they have a good nucleus. I think they still, they, you know, they brought back Blake Griffin. They still have, you know, uh, Jordan. They still have a couple players coming off the bench. 
um, and with Dinwiddie. So I think they're good. I don't, I don't think it changes anything. But for the standpoint of him standing his ground and his beliefs, I'm all for it. That's your voice. That's what you want to do. If you And it was been talks about him wanting to retire. If he retires, I think you, he's done everything he wants to do, I believe. You want a national, national championship? Oh my gosh, I'm still a football. Well, let's, let me turn. <laughs> let me turn to the basketball. You want it? Hey, here's the thing. <laughs> and, and I mean, but him winning a championship, he has one of the most iconic game winners ever. Yes. Go go ahead, winners against over Steph Curry in on the road in a game seven. Like that will never be be forgotten. Never, never. But I mean, it's certain things about his game that I think will shadow it a little bit. Just him, yeah. you know, messing things up with the Cavaliers, messing things up with the Celtics. The toxic situations. Yeah, you know, his, yeah, yeah, here and there, him, yeah. So, I don't think it would affect him at all. I think they would be good without him. I think he'd be a good addition if he's if he could play, but but I'm all for him standing his ground and doing what he believes in, because that's, that's all you have. You know, that's your voice. That's your, you know, that's your, that's your ordeal. <laughs> And, and absolutely, like that, absolutely is the thing. He's always been able to to use that. And I mean, there's also the th- the Stephen A. factor because Stephen A. feels as though it's it's extremely selfish. Like like there have been reports going back and forth with you know with Kyrie's IG live and just him like going at the media for for interpreting his words a certain way. Like when you have a battle with the media, and you know, obviously, like one person has one job to do about giving the information every day, and then another person is a performer. Like, what are your thoughts on how that can play? Because there's always been the media battle, even with guys like Kyrie and KD, where they just feel as though the media kind of misinterprets what they're trying to oh, say. Oh, sure. The media does it all the time. God being well, it's we're in the media. Um, I've been in the media, yeah. you know, doing, you know, stories and stuff like that. I'm seeing the true nature of media and how they twist stories. It's all about ratings. It's all about, you know, who's listening or whatever. So media is always going to, you know, change and alters people's pr- perspectives and, do what's what's best for that that newsroom or whatever the case may be. Whereas ESPN, was it a local channel or whatever the case may be, media will always in, misinterpret what a player has said or is trying to say. And it's it's I think it's hard in, in NBA. I think it's hard. The media is is harder in the NBA than the NFL because they, whoo, you, you you shut up and, and just shoot. You know that's. That's what the MO was for basketball. Shut up and play. Shut up and shoot. Just play basketball. No, I'm not going to just shut up and, and play a sport. No, I, I'm, I'm a grown man. I have my voice. I have my opinions. And I have my concerns. So NBA, I think, is harder for any other sport to kind of, you know, verbalize what you're feeling. And Katie's another one. He felt like he had to make another account on Twitter to do so. So, and you look at the, and I always say this, you you, you look at the 76ers, how their general manager or their higher up um, created another account. They do the same thing. So in, the media is always going to twist things. And I feel like the players, though the players are only players in the, the you know, the, the front box, the front office is the only people that really know what's going on. Media is always trying to alter things yeah definitely i say say i got a question do you want to trust the process one more year ben simmons man he's he's coming back to philly one more year man is he one more year yeah i didn't hear that he's eligible to rejoin the sixers uh he 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 reported back to to philly this past week you know just reconditioning but rich paul he's got him back in there you know what no i'm not trusting the process (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm not trusting the process. 
Never. Never. Not, that process should have been done. Like how 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 much how many years is loaded? Like it was cool, it's marketable, <laughs> trust the process. Like that was like ten years ago, bro. Like what are we doing? And I and I still feel as though feel as though it's one of those situations where it'll play out for this season at some point, maybe in the middle of the season, if they're so unhappy, they'll find a trade for him. But I think it's one of those things that probably like the beginning of the season, he'll be there. But if things don't work out, it, it'll eventually, they'll eventually find some type of, I think, desirable trade for, for both parties. I think so too. And for another reason, I think he went back. And for Rich Paul, I think he went back. Is uh, you have to showcase your game has changed in like four or five months. You have to play. Nobody wants you right now. Nobody wants to trade for you. Nobody wants to put their their name in the hat. So you got to show that you can lead a team, that you can shoot behind the arc, that you can create your own shot. You these tangible things that the teams look for. If we're trading for you in hopes of you can lead our team to the playoffs or lead our team to an NBA championship, right now Ben Simmons cannot do that. So why trade for him? So now you have to build your resume back up with a team. Got to show your exactly, value. Exactly. With a team you didn't want to play for and you didn't want to take a players meeting. Now you're coming back to a situation like. You, you didn't even respond to calls. No, you didn't respond to absolutely calls. Absolutely not. So that's why I'm not trusting the process, Wellington, because they probably don't <laughs> rock with him for real. Joel and B definitely doesn't rock with him because he was like, their game plan was for to have the ball in your hands. We got rid of. <laughs> we got rid of Jimmy Butler for you. Like, what are we doing here? So that's why I never trust the process. Ben Simmons, bro, if you do not show your game has changed in these four or five months, bro, all that crap is for nothing. You will, you will retire as 76ers because nobody's going to want you. <laughs> or you just go to Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, Kyrie's going to play in Brooklyn. Or go to Spain or Brazil or something. <laughs> Playing those leagues. Yeah. Um, but but now just to, to our album reviews and start off with, with the Alchemist, this thing of ours uh, to this latest a- a- a EP that is a sequel to April's EP of the same name. You know, has features from um, Ben Staples, Danny Brown, and more. And throughout this project, you know, the Alchemist produces clean '90s style beats, highlighting just one of his own biggest strengths. And he was also the sole producer of Boldy James' last album, which you know received critical acclaim. But what were your initial thoughts of this EP and the right the variety of guests um, that were on it? You know, he always brings a he brings a different element to pr- his production. To be completely honest with yeah. you, and and when I think when I first I think we we covered an album of his before in the past, and I've mentioned um you know Action Bronx and him being with Action Bronx and all the time, The Alchemist. Yeah, and he. The Bodie James. Yeah, and him being able to like bring out different elements in the production and bring a different style to it. I think he brings, he does that every time he collabs with anybody. I think this was a a flow for project. I think the production was mad crazy. It made me bob my Mm -hmm. head. It made me feel. It made me, you know, my, you know, made me freestyle a little bit. I don't care who's rapping or singing on the beat. I'm freestyling (laughs) to it. So he has that ability to bring that nature out of people and it comes into the production and like, and the name, the alchemist, bro, that's, that's fire. That is so yeah. fire. So, but yeah, this, this was dope. Just, just production wise was really, really dope. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like the production is always like top, top tier from him. But in terms of just the, 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 the music that, that you hear on a regular basis and in terms, and, and, and with the content, like, 
which one is more important to you? Is it, is it the content or, or, or the production? Because like sometimes like you can have that best of both worlds where both are, are amazing, but like which one do you kind of pay attention to more like when you're listening to an EP or album? First, production, for sure. Production. Mm-hmm. I mean, how like, you know, some some beats have spaces in them or parts where you can get really creative and you put like the subtle sounds in there that brings it the entire thing out. He does it so well, and I, I can't. I wish I had a reference, but he it's no like empty spaces where you feel like ah he should have put like a hi hat or a ding or something like that in there. I feel like he fills the spaces in his production so well. So when it comes to any any production, like say like we were talking Reese and I, Reese, you and I were talking about the production and engineering quality of Drake's album. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you listen to. The, the lyrics are cool, yeah. yeah, yeah. The first thing we listen to is the beat, how the mix and mastering was, everything like that. That's the first thing you hear. And I was told, hold on, no, uh, Deep Pockets. Yes. <laughs> like, you listen to that, like, oh, that's hard. That's, he's, who are he's coming up from? <laughs> so that, that catches you. And then we roll in, like, and then that, and his lyrics carry you throughout the beat. Production yeah. is the most important thing. For an album, EP, song, whatever the case would be, the production, the beat, the mix and the master, all that is more important than the lyrics itself. So yeah, that's I think that's the most important thing. Definitely. Um and, and interesting to, to to Doja Cat's Planet Her album. And in her third album from this past June, you know, the rapper singer delivers just a chaotic energy with a mix of trap and funk. And some of the strongest songs are, are with the collaborator collaborator Y2K, who not only pushes Do- Doja further, but also um some of her features in Ariana Grande and Young Thug, and she's got just an elastic and swift flow along with um, singing it, and has by has been viewed by many as a pop outsider, as such a big personality and a, a devoted fan base. But what were your thoughts on this third album from her and the art- artistic intuition that she has along with just uh, creative liberties? I didn't tell you this, Williton, and I'm glad I didn't. I do not support Doja Cat's music. I don't listen to her music. And I wanted to say that on the podcast so people understand why that the thing she did in the past, I don't rock with. I'm not, I'm never going to listen to her music. So <laughs> Wellington, and Wellington does not know this. That's why he's silent right now. I wanted to <laughs> I don't listen to Doja Cat. When she pops up on uh, TikTok, I scroll past her Instagram, Facebook. I do not support her in any way. I don't want to say her name, Meow. I'm just going to say Meow. Um, <laughs> well, let's just take it over. <laughs> look. Look, man. Yeah. I mean, I was I was caught off guard. I was caught off guard. I guess we got to transition to Kalani. <laughs> no, you said, you can talk about like what you thought about the album, but I just don't support her music, bro. I just don't support her anyway. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, I definitely do understand that because there, there are a lot of people who have that that same that same view of her, and she's a polarizing figure. I feel as though there were there are a lot of songs on here where she she can show just the like I said, the creative liberties that she has with, with certain artists, and just how she has a, a different range with some of her with some of her sounds. I thought it was a, a good project, but I also understand the fact that some people, and that's another thing, another conversation I want to have because like when there is an artist that you just. You, you, you just kind of have a disdain for and you can't accept anything that they do like how do you know like when it gets to that that point of like okay i just that's not an artist i will ever pay any attention to or just listen to it you all. know i think it's it's beyond music i think you know just for example you, you think of r kelly right 
and what he's all his scandals and stuff like that. People still love his music. And you were saying, well, why you don't have any no animosity towards R. Kelly? Because I don't listen to R. Kelly every day. I don't like. I grew up on R. Kelly, but I don't listen to his music. I don't believe in what he did, so I don't listen. I'm not going to support that. Even if Drake had like a scandal or something, like he abused somebody. Oh, that's gonna be hard. But I'll probably stop listening to his music. Mm. I feel like it's more so. <laughs> it's more so just like what you believe in, because one. I'm not looking you look to looking to you as a a um like a star or superstar or like a, a celebrity. I'm looking at you as a human being, and as a human being, as a Doja Cat, what you believe in and what you operate in, I don't, I don't. That's not what that's not my mo. You know, I don't do that. I didn't listen to Juice World because he was with like all the drugs and stuff, and like he was glorifying drugs and stuff. So I didn't ever listen to Juice World like that. Like so, because we we always go back until we did the well, until we did his posthumous album, "The Legends Never Die." I think that was the only time that we kind of like delved into. Yeah, his music. and then the, the, yeah, that's the only time we ever well, I ever like kind of listened to it. And I was like, yeah, this ain't for me, because I'm not gonna like subjugate to myself, subjugate to subjugate something to myself that I know I'll never do or I never dive in. Like I don't listen to most trap music. Like I've been in that life, and I've you know I've been around that life, but I I don't want to listen to trap music. I don't want to listen to somebody like say, "Oh, I'm gonna kill you." Bah, bah, he's gonna come outside. Bah, bah, yeah, yeah. Bah, bah. Like I listen to mostly all. I can't I can't get along with that. Like I can't I can't vibe with that. <laughs> I listen to mostly R and B music because I like listening to love. I like listening about breakups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I listen to most R and B music, but when it comes to like certain things like this, I don't tolerate. I'm not going to put you in my ear so I can regurg- regurgitate your lyrics. Like no, heck no, no, I'm not doing that. Like that's not what we're doing here. But I agree. Mm-hmm. I love how you mentioned if there was a Drake scandal, then you're like, oh, that would, that would be hard. I, <laughs> hope, I hope Drake never gets in a scandal. Please. Like, never. Please, Drake, don't ever get in a scandal, bro. Stay sweet and clean. That's going to be hard to give up there. Uh, <laughs> so much music that what? we listen to is from Drake. <laughs> Since 09, bro. Like, that's a lot of music. Yeah, man. Definitely. Um, but now getting to our, our last uh, uh, review with K- Kehlani's uh, a recent single, Alter, and just in her latest single from her upcom- upcoming album, Blue Water Road, it's um, a swooning hit of pop and R&B, and she just has lyrics about feeling her descendants' presence and everything that she does. But what, what were your thoughts on this track? And also, what would you like to hear from her from her upcoming album, Blue Water Road, as you know, she even said recently in, her, in, her, in an interview that these songs were just meant to be bonus songs uh, for her latest deluxe, but morphed into something that was even. Cool. I like that, and I, I I like that. Kalani has, Kalani definitely obviously has the ick factor. She can she can flow. She can you know she can sing. She can go in different octaves, and her music makes you definitely feel. Man, I think this was really dope. All her music is solid. I've never heard like a that's dumb song or that's you know, I really like that song from Kalani. Every song is really solid. It's hard not to like her music. And what I'm looking for, I mean, I think she's done everything an R&B artist can do. To be honest with you, she's had multiple uh, guests on. She's had the right features. She has good concepts. Like, you know, let me be a distraction. <laughs> I mean, she's went through all her, just like, I feel like she's done everything an R&B artist can do within music. It's just, and then 
the I guess the most important thing is just continue to be consistent. So I'm not looking for her to do anything other than she's already done. To be honest with you, she's done everything. Yeah, she she really has. In, 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 in an interview recently, she had with uh, Alicia Keys. She was talking about just some of her just inspirations. You know, she she said how much like she you know listens to to Stevie Wonder and you know artists like Earth, Wind, and Fire. And, and she, she, there's just a certain amount of like even Sade, like there's a certain amount of artists that like inspire her. Like in terms of like when you when you have an artist like Kalani who's getting inspirations from past generations, like do you think that's necessary for an artist, especially to just like broaden their horizons to kind of have that like influence from the past to create what you're doing oh, for now? Sure. And and I think it's with every generation of 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 artists or musicians or whatever, because it always stands for something. So for Stevie Wonder, he grew up in a time right before t- t- temptations or or the the uh, the pips or other like so he got that from them and then the next generation you look at Michael Jackson you look at uh, Prince they got the inspiration from them so it just the, the cycle keeps continuing you always want to dive into each year era of music so you can implement that in some way and I think she has because she's had a song with um 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 oh gosh. Music Soul Child. He's a he was in a different era. Yeah. So she had a, a feature with him, and it really brought out the two thousands and the nineties. So it's just I feel mm-hmm. like she's went back and really filled into those eras. And w- listen to Stevie Wonder, man, you get a lot of inspiration from him because so he much. has so many so levels of music. Like it's crazy, bro. And, I mean, Michael Jackson, of course, he's one of the most sampled people. And you look at Prince as well, too. So I mean. Yeah, you always look back to those mm-hmm. different eras and listen to the music. Like um, Temptations, uh, Treat It Like a Lady. I love that song. Treat It Like a Lady. Yeah, I know for jail, that, bro. So, Crazy. yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And, and, and that really that really is an amazing thing to, to go back into those the, the depths of the past and, and bring back something to, to where you are now. But um, that wraps it up for today. I'm Hill Twins of Burns, along with Kind of Our Save on Morse. This has been Full Scope. See you later.